Are we creating demand or are we capturing demand? What is the strategic goal that it aligns to? You're creating a new way to think and a new way to operate. That's Devin Reed. He's the head of content at Clary, a revenue lifecycle management platform and former head of content at Gong, an industry-leading revenue intelligence software. His content strategies help bring a company from eight to 10 figures and solidify them as a category leader, while his personal brand, The Reader, has over 12,000 email subscribers and has made him six figures in revenue on the side. Every piece of content has a call to action. Every follower should be a podcast subscriber. Every podcast subscriber should be a newsletter subscriber. In our conversation, we'll discuss his framework for how you'll create content that addresses all of your readers' needs, his five questions you should ask to get executive buy-in, and his lessons from being a creator, navigating growth and burnout. I'm Tommy Walker, my guest is Devin Reed, and this is The Cutting Room. Devin, tell me about your content marketing philosophy and how has it evolved over time? Ooh, big question to start. I like it. You did warn me. You're like, I'm just going to get right into it. But I do want to say thank you for that intro. Gave me some... (laughs) Gave me a little bit of confidence going into the show with you today. Um, tell me about my content strategy. Well, I'll, I'll start no, talking. No, your philosophy. You- tell me about your content marketing philosophy. Where does it come from? Yeah, so I'll t- that's what I'm say. I'm going to start, and you can just pause me, pull threads, and, and kind of guide me as you wish. So uh, folks may not know, I spent the first half of my career in sales. Mm-hmm. So I was a quota-carrying sales rep for uh, many a SaaS companies. Uh, Gong being one of them. That's where I kind of switched from from uh, sales to marketing. And the reason I say uh, that little backstory is because I've always been enamored by marketing teams who don't drive revenue. Like any anything but that to me always felt weird. And if we go a little further, I always thought it was weird that like when I first got into tech, that companies were just taking on mass amounts of money and then losing mass amounts of money. And we we're all like pretty <laughs> cool with that. And so that I was like, if I opened a lemonade stand and I was just bleeding cash, I wouldn't keep the lemonade stand. And if I was hiring a marketer, like one, one uh, also ruggedly good looking Tommy Walker, and he's burning more cash and I'm not selling more lemonade. What are we doing here? Like what's going on? And that makes no sense. So that's the foundation to me of like, what is content marketing doing? It's to, it's to drive the business forward. And that's why I've really stuck to like content strategy, which is the, the big why. Like why, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And then the how to me is like the content marketing, the actual output of content, the measuring of results, taking those insights and informing back to your strategy. And so for me, my like overarching philosophy is to build trust at scale. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not playing in the attention economy. I'm trying to dominate in the attention economy, build trust at scale and create this flywheel of trust that just fuels the business because people know who I am or my company, you know, know us, they like us, uh, and they trust us. And so they come inbound or they renew with us or they expand with us. Or when they're out at any industry conference, they're talking about us, which mm-hmm. again helps that kind of flywheel. So that's like the highest level mini backstory mixed with some philosophy. So I'm going to pull on that thread a little bit more of yep. driving revenue, like having a, a, a purpose for that, right? Um, we had Aaron Orendorf on very early in this show, and he said, you know, content's purpose, sin quo non, which I had to look up afterwards, is okay. to drive revenue. And it serves no other purpose than that, or it should always have something that ties back. How are you, because you do an excellent job with the thought leadership content, right? You do a fan- fantastic job of all that. How are you like tying those things together? Because sometimes 
people want to go in the content marketing space. A lot of us want to go the creative route, but then go like, maybe it will drive revenue later. But yeah, what, what's your like, what's your development process, I suppose, for getting to that point? Yeah, it's a good question. And so for me, like, I, I don't describe myself as a creative, though I would say I am creative, if that yeah. makes sense. And that's because like, to me, I'm like, a, I'm like an operator or like a business owner first. And creativity is a means to an end. And I know that's like, oh my God, like, no, it's a create, it's like, you know, it's, it's about art and it's about, you know, fun, you know, ideas and fun. And, and that's true, but that's not the number one thing. And so the number one thing is I start with the CEO slide. So every year, mind you, I've worked at SaaS companies, typically less than a thousand employees, um, but at a few different stages. And every company has a CEO slide, which is around this time. February 6th, you know, new fiscal for a lot of people, mm -hmm. the CEO at your SKO or an all hands is going to show the CEO slide. And that's the top three, maybe five strategic goals that the company has to do this year. The investors know about it. They're on board. There's high uh, expectations. And it's usually things like number one, I was gonna say double revenue, but that's not the case anymore. That's the, the growth at all cost days. Now it's just grow revenue, right? Yep. Maybe efficient growth. There might be some like efficiency metric associated with that, but we'll get to that in a second. So let's just say drive revenue. Number two could be launch new product. Number three could be launch or win in a category. Number four could be certain revenue targets for like uh, geographies, right? So all these like high level strategic things that the company yep. needs to do. I look at that and I say, where can content clearly and either directly or indirectly support those initiatives. And so if you've been to these companies, you know, there's always a cascading line of metrics, right? So if it's like, hey, we need to drive revenue, there's inbound numbers, pipeline, opportunity, volume, pipeline, you know, quantity in terms of like dollar signs, like actual amount of pipeline, and all these other ways where we're going to decide, were we successful in achieving this initiative? And so I'm looking for ways to tie, hey, if I am launching our CEO's LinkedIn strategy and I'm measuring success on followers, impressions, and then, and then pipeline attribution or contribution, then I'm going to create the strategy around those things. And we can kind of dive into like specifics, Tommy, if you want. Yeah. But that's just like one example where I'm like, okay, this program, why are we doing it? Because we want to, and Clary's instance, I'll use some Clary examples because it's fresh. Is you know we launched a new category. We want to dominate the category. We want to be the number one sales tech. And so my way of thinking is, how do I build trust at scale? How do I make Clary more known in the market, more trusted in the market? And one of the best ways to do that is to have our CEO dominate on LinkedIn and just start to you know produce content and, and, and enjoy some of the fruits of those labors. And so when I go to him, I say, here's what we're going to do. And the reason why is because, Andy, you told me you care about revenue and you care about this category play. And this is the best way. I am certain this is the best way to get it done. And I come through with that energy and passion because I need to set the tone early of yeah. my conviction if I want him to buy into my belief and for him to invest both his own time resources and, of course, marketing dollars. Can you dig into that even just a little bit further? Because that alignment with the CEO slide, I know I've seen personally different teams go, yeah, we've got the CEO slide, but we're still going to do our own thing because we know better. <laughs> How much are you influencing that CEO slide overall? But then like that give and take, because you are in a startup environment, what does that look like? How are you influencing that? And then can you give me another example outside of yeah. the LinkedIn example? 
Yeah. So let's see. So I don't, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I joke. I'm like Michael Scott. I'm, I'm a mid-level <laughs> manager. You know, I, I'm not in the CEO, you know, I'm not in the C-suite. I'm not in the CEO's ear from a business, like a company standpoint. Yeah. I know my role and I play it well. The place where I have more influence is the marketing strategy. So there's these, the CEO slide, every department looks at that and goes, so what are we going to do? So if I say, so what? It's like, so what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Then I get to have some influence, you know, using my voice on the marketing side of where I think we should go as a department uh, and for my and for my team. There's different frameworks for goal setting. We use one called uh, GMTs at Clary. It's goals, uh, metrics, target or methods, targets, excuse me. So it's kind of like, what are we doing? How are we going to do it? And then how are we going to measure results? And so for those, I make one for my team. And because, you know, I have some, uh, we'll say mutual respect and, and uh, I adore Julian Savage for any of those who, who've heard of him. Um, you know, we, we have very honest conversations and I'll say, hey, like, I don't agree that that's the best way to go about it. Or I think measuring it that way is outdated. Here's how we should, you know, consider it moving forward. And so for those who know me or if you've listened for the last five minutes, I have no hesitation in sharing my voice. I try to be as pragmatic as possible, mm -hmm. but I'm also understanding where I'm like, look, I don't expect to get my way all the time. Not at all. My job is to share my perspective and try to, I want to say enlighten people, but I want to be enlightened by them. Like I want there to be a cross and a back and forth of like, Tommy, me and you're in a room and maybe we're peers. And I say, this is the way to do it. And you say, no, I think that's the way to do it. My goal isn't to convince you. Right. My goal is to understand your perspective to a point where I could repeat it back to you. And hopefully you could do the same. And then we can wrestle it out and see who can convince the VP or, you know, whomever. Yeah. But that to me is like a true joy because I get to go, hold on, maybe the way I've been doing it is a little outdated or maybe that doesn't make sense based on the team we have today. So I know I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole, but it is a lot of give and take. It's not just like, I look at the CEO slide, tell my opinion, and then I make my plan and it right. there's, you know, no hiccups. Well, I mean, and I think that's important for just modern management in general. You can't have strategy without management. You can't be a leader without actually being a collaborator. And that comes down to like smart hiring and uh, a number of other things that we could absolutely go down that rabbit yeah. hole. And maybe we can do a follow-up episode on just that. I, I want to stay within the format right now, though, because there is a process that comes with all of this, right? Let's kind of dig into the ideation element of that, right? So we've got the big broad goals. We know that we're going to be measuring against those. Now, when we start putting rubber to the road and going into the ideation phase all the way to the creation or the publication and distribution, yeah. tell me about that. What's that all look like for you? What's what's the life cycle of a piece of content? From the planning side is, um, you know, we, we follow the kind of, you know, again, there's a, there's a framework for everything. It's just which one do you subscribe to? We talk a lot about converting demand, capturing demand, and converting it. So like converting it into pipeline, right? So this is like the funnel on top of the funnel. Uh, and I am the top of the top funnel. And that's not a totem pole. That's just like, I live in top of funnel world, brand building, audience growth, pipeline, uh, or, you know, it's like demand creation. And so what I'm looking at Tommy is, and my team has changed a lot uh, here versus typically because most folks wouldn't assume I also manage customer marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, Content and strategy, content marketing, all this top of funnel stuff. Oh, and by the way, customer marketing is in there too. We have the, some of like traditional stuff like cab, but then I'll also like, we'll do these like kind of like brand, more branded stuff with customers and our customer marketer will kind of help there. Yeah. But 
the framework that I use is that create, capture, convert, demand. And I'm primarily at the very top of that create aspect. And then I have some stuff that's on the capture. And so as I'm making my you know quarterly, annual, half-year plan, whatever it is, I'm starting with, are we creating demand or are we capturing demand? Because that's really where, where we live. So that's yep. the first thing. And then it's like, okay, what is the strategic goal that it aligns to? It's aligns to category creation is a huge one for us here at Clary. That's like, you know, it's literally in my title. So that's a big one for me. So a lot of the stuff is category specific. And then what I'm looking at is what resources do we have to support various things? Now, for example, we might say, you know, hey, we want to do a podcast, but no one on the team has done a podcast before. Right. Or maybe we want to do a podcast, but there's already two really popular ones in our niche and like it'd be a big uphill battle but maybe there's not a really great event series and we know that people like to go to digital events much like this one and hey alina has actually ran events in the past she's quite good at it that to me is a more of like a let's go in that direction versus kind of make your plan in a vacuum of like what we wish we could do mm-hmm. right because then when you know i think you kind of said like when tire when uh when the tire hits the pavement or whatever the phrase is like things can go awry really quickly when you don't have the expertise that you kind of think you do or that you need. Yeah. And so from there, it's mapping out kind of like, what are the goals for this project or channel? What are the other impacts it's going to have on either my content strategy or other folks in the business? And then we start to map out kind of like launch timelines and expected deliverables and stuff like that. And the podcast was one of them that we did right when I joined, because again, it's like, Hey, what's a great way to say we're a thought leader, what's a great way to build credibility? It's to have the, it's literally to have the microphone in front of you and to have people listening to your, your way of thinking, your way of operating and get folks to kind of buy into your world. That's what the category play really is. It's create, it's world building and getting people to subscribe to that. No pun mm-hmm. intended. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. So the framework of creation, converting and capturing, I haven't actually heard of that before, which is kind of surprising. Dig into that just a little bit more. Like, how are you thinking about when you when you start creating that? What are your sort of what's the word? I'm like the, your requirements of those types of pieces. So the requirements, I would say, probably start with kind of like outcomes, mm-hmm. and you know, candidly, capture is often like capturing email address. So like, like it's not a perfect framework, you know, in terms of kind of like how we consume content and kind of like, um, yeah, I'd say can consume content. So for me, the create demand. When you think about thought leadership, that's what it really is doing. It is creating a new conversation or it is reshaping an existing conversation. When you think about things like SEO, it is literally capturing existing interest. It's like I, you know, how to launch a podcast, right? And so you're capturing that existing interest. And so when you're launching again, a category, when you're wanting to be a thought leader and do that thought leadership play, you have to spend a lot of time and effort on the demand creation because, again, you're creating a new way to think and a new way to operate. So the ways that you measure that for me is uh, it kind of depends on the on the channel, but there's things like for social media, it is followers, it's impressions, it's uh, inbound overall. Like we can see web traffic from social Web traffic's another good one. We can see web traffic from social. Uh, and we can just see if like overall inbound is going up. So to me, that's creating demand. Keep On going. the capture side, it's usually more of like gated content, you know, gated events and stuff like that, where we're saying, okay, we're like really starting to track. We're getting kind of people a little bit closer to us, engaging with us a little bit more directly. Maybe it's via email, you know, uh, et cetera. 
And so then we're looking at, okay, let's look at our attribution model, whether that's sourced or influenced and starting to kind of use, you know, Salesforce, Tableau, all that stuff to say, okay, great. Are we moving people from the following you, subscribing to you and like actually into some, what I would call meaningful numbers, but really it's concrete, safe, you know, safer numbers, things that we all agree. Hey, we know we set the attribution model. We're going to measure it this way. And now the numbers are starting to show. And then of course, are those leads turning into revenue down the funnel? That of course, you start working with sales development and the sales team to say, hey, are these the right leads? Are they the right amount of educated and all that good stuff? I think that's wonderful. And then how are you working with your sales team on the other side of all that to make sure that your stuff is all working? Because like you've got your metrics that you're looking at directly, but then it's like, I know just through our conversations in the past that you're actually caring about not just, hey, what are we doing directly? But like, what's that leading to down the road? Because you do come from that sales background. How yeah. are you How are you sort of looking at all of that? And what are those conversations looking like internally? For sure. So I would say, okay, of all the, and, and I, you know, it's kind of teasing the creativity. Like I love the creative stuff, but like yeah. marketing without revenue is, is like arts and crafts. It's like we're just doing stuff. And yeah. so is our arts and crafts paying off? Uh, and it has to. And so for me, I'm looking at, uh, the web traffic is web traffic going up. Uh, I like to look at direct. I know that none of it's perfect. Right. But like, yeah. I like to look at direct personally and, and kind of by source, like I said, social media direct is such a slept on metric. I well, again, if I'm going to creating demand, my thought is, am I doing something? Yeah. Am I putting something out that is causing Tommy to go to get curious and go to clary.com? Like, yeah. is he punching it in to go learn more? Like, and I know then you get people saying, yeah, but Tommy is a client and he's just going to find, like log into clary and he's just going that way. So I can't yeah. do this. I'm like, I don't know. It's nothing's perfect. But the real thing that sales cares about is S zeros. So is that a stage zero opportunity, which is a meeting was booked. And then we look at stage one, did a real opportunity come from it? So there was a meeting and the salesperson said, yep, I'll work this one. So those are like the two, I wouldn't call like early or lagging. They're like the medium, whatever the word medium, intermediary <laughs> indicators Intermedi are. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, okay, cool. We're getting the right people, right? We're getting, you know, getting the right people to come into the pipeline. Sales is reaching out. We have a conversation. At that point, I don't want to say I'm hands-off. Marketing is not hands-off. I personally am a little bit more hands-off because it's like you're in a sales cycle now. Yeah. My job is more of like bringing it to this point. But we do, and we are continuing to work with our sales development team to make sure they're prepared when these, you know, these MQLs come, you know, get, you know, they get that ping in Salesforce. Hey, these, you know, MQLs are hitting your dash that you have some context to the content, which is, Hey, if there's this new gated guide, you know what it is, who it's for, and you can speak to it, you know, eloquently, same thing for digital events. And we partner on creating like templates for outbound sales calls and outbound uh, email templates. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of success there because the other metric we're looking at is MQL to S one conversion rate. And S that is the finance so, one for me, please. Yeah. So it's MQL. Is this the right person doing the right things? Right. To conversion rate, are they in this the right person in a sales cycle? Just okay. the very beginning of a sales cycle, which a lot of content marketers probably don't think about because it's a little bit more uh, maybe like a demand gen metric. Yeah, but I'm telling you, if you can focus on that, if you here, here's the truth, Tommy, if you bring that to your business, you will probably already be elevated in respect because most people aren't thinking that way unless you're like really deep in demand gen, and that's how you're getting the buy-in from the executives because you're speaking their language. 
Exactly. And that's a great topic I'd love to cover now or later is like marketing lingo. I can speak that all day and a lot of people can, but can you translate, like, can you translate into business speak, which is like MQLs are not a business metric typically, not that I've ever really seen. But if you say conversion rate, now you're starting to put your business acumen up high and you're starting to say, look, I understand that we need to get these hundred people. We're only getting two to an opportunity. This quarter, we're going to get 10. We're going to go from two to 10% or something, you know, whatever makes sense for the business. I've done that previously at Gong and probably had one of the biggest impact on the business that I've done. And it's kind of all behind the scenes. It's not pretty. It's not something that like we did a thing and this big result happened. It's kind of like in the background, optimizing, pulling levers, using the wrench, figuring out why isn't this converting well enough, uh, good enough. And then when it does, the pipeline, it's, it takes a couple months because you know, it takes time for sales development to happen. But that's where you can have a huge impact on pipeline and revenue. Uh, and a lot of people aren't really talking about that. It's true. It's true. I have a question regarding just a personal thing that you do. And you and Eddie Schleiner actually both do this. And I know that you also know Eddie. Let's text him this morning. Oh, really? Good guy. Yeah, good he, guy. he's a really good guy. He's such a nice guy, too. When you go into your creation process, both you and Eddie talk about the reader with a capital R. Yeah. How is that? How are you one communicating that to the people that you do? And tell me about like your logic behind that, because I love it. And I, I, I've started to adopt the same thing because it really does mean something. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I talk about the reader in such a way because they are the most important thing. It is, it's like writing 101, depending on what like school of hard knocks of writing you went to. But it started with years ago when I started the reader, my company with two, you know, all E's, R-E-E-D-E-R, was one, wasn't a dad yet, but the pun is right there. Right. Kevin Reed, you the reader. It's just, it's a layup. But two, it's like a reminder to me and my clients and my philosophy, which is the reader comes first. Always, always, always. And that's both in the content you're creating has to be insightful, relevant, actionable for the reader. And also the experience that you create when it comes to accessing that content, following up with that content, all the offers that you, you know, that you make afterwards, the sales follow-up is it's a reminder not to focus too much on any of the metrics that we've been talking about, but you focus on them first, building that trust, making it easy to convert. Then all the metrics we talked about will happen. And so that's like my philosophy from it. I did notice he did it. I think I found Eddie a little bit after candidly because I was like, didn't know much about marketing when I kind of started my thing. Yeah. But I like that he does it too, because when Eddie does it, it feels like this like little bit of elevated respect. Yeah. He's like, this is the reader, not just some person, not just some guy, some gal on their phone, whatever. It's like the person that matters. You know what I mean? It just yeah. has this elevated feel to it. It kind of makes you pause and really think a little bit more. And so I like that a lot. I'm maniacal about it when it comes to editing, when it comes to like just deciding what we're going to do from a marketing deliverable standpoint. Like sometimes this is what we want to talk about, but nothing we just said in the last two minutes is anything anyone really wants to hear outside these walls. So like, let's make sure what we're doing benefits them first. Yeah. Because worst case scenario, you benefit them, build the trust. Maybe your metrics fall a little short. It's better than doing something for you. You don't build trust or you lose trust and your metrics are short. Like at least you can get one of those two things. Um, well, now we're starting to border on artistic territory and we've actually got a question in the chat here too, about the reader with two E's, but we start to balance into, you're starting to talk about move into artistic territory. We're not everything that is for the reader necessarily drives to revenue because there has to be sort of some context that's set up 
with something that happens before you bring them into a thing that you see what I'm saying? So yeah. where are you finding that balance? You know, I know that a lot of content leads and a lot of individual contributors too will go like, man, it feels icky that everything feels like it has to tie to revenue. So <laughs> how are you finding that balance? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think like, like the first lens you have to put in is this is a me like marketing is a means to driving the business forward. You have yeah. to agree to that. Once you, and I know that's a problem. And like, I know there's like a lot of journalists and content marketing and a lot of like creatives, like designers and stuff. And that's no knock. I, I went to school to be an English teacher. So I, I was like taking classes with journalists, like, you know, yeah. the journalism folks, but I wasn't in, you know, I didn't go that deep into it. It's not a knock on them, but I think there's just a little more love for the art than the outcome mm -hmm. with some of those folks. And and that's not a diss. It's just the, it's my just observation. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I've never hired one, not on purpose. I wasn't like, oh, you're in you know, journalism major. Get out of here. Get out of my office. I just haven't ever done it yet. I had yeah. to meet a lot throughout my marketing career to understand that perspective. And so once you agree, the art is meant to convert. If that's, if that's like a medium, we could, you know, a middle ground. And then you get excited, not about just the passion, the deep work, the writing. I got better today. That's important. Mm -hmm. But if you hit publish and the dashboard is not be like better off for it, and it could be, again, follower. It could be impressions. Not everything is like... Right. When I say everything leads to revenue, it's not that every social post is responsible for revenue. It's not that every podcast is responsible for revenue. But there's indicators along the way to yeah, get there. Something's got to move numbers. So call it a growth metric. Call it revenue, whatever. My advice is get obsessed with the growth. Yeah. Get obsessed with growth because, one, it improves your worth at the company and it improves your worth as a marketer in your career, when you can go to places, like I said, time and say, Oh, you, you know, how's your top of funnel doing in an interview? Like, Oh, you know, it's doing about we're, we're struggling, you know, with conversions. Like, Oh, are you focused on MQL to S1 conversion rate? What's your rate? Uh, yeah, you just probably you probably just got $20,000 added to your offer because you're asking business level questions, right? So that's what I'm trying to do. Now, if that doesn't interest you, and you're like, Look, I just want to be a writer, and I'm not worried about all that, then don't listen to me to go go have fun doing your writing. But <laughs> And that's, and that's not a knock. There's other gigs you can do. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to build a career that makes money and makes an impact and in reverse order, but you need to make money whether it's for you or your business that you work for. So anyway, the ickiness is like, just accept this truth or deny this truth and ignore everything I'm saying. But if you accept it, at the very least, every piece of content has a call to action, a conversion point to continue to one, educate that person and continue them on their journey. And two, to feed your content engine and your business, which is like every follower should be a podcast subscriber. Every podcast subscriber should be a newsletter subscriber. Every, yeah. You know what I mean? You just go down the thing and then you're giving people that great experience because you're putting the reader first. You're brand is growing because you're getting more of an audience growth and then you're converting that audience into pipeline like to me there is no other way <laughs> i will not be convinced but i know there's other like if you believe in the way I, what i want there's no other way but right. if you're trying to come to a different outcome than what i'm talking about then of course there's other ways to, well, to get there and what you're doing is bringing people into an ecosystem overall right like if you're yeah. if you're moving numbers overall and you've got that communication with the people who are contributing and the people who are internal, like that we're creating an ecosystem overall and we're trying to build a much bigger thing. There's not a lot of like, trust me, bro. Like you can say, trust me, bro, in certain situations, but then it's also yeah. like, you know, I have a plan to move people from one to another and become uh, a big part of the world. 
question about the reader with two E's. You produce a whole awful lot. And you and I actually talked about this in our pre-interview. You produce a whole awful lot. Where do you find the time? Um, <laughs> this is a question I get a lot. And you know why it's tough to start? Because, you know, it's like the like the, the like corn cornball influencers. Like, I get this question all the time. Like, what my face, you know, routine, whatever, or my beard oil. Like, bro, no one's asking you that. No one's asking you that. You just want to tell somebody. No, it's true, though. You're creating a whole lot of awful lot of stuff. You remind me of um, yeah. Caitlin uh, Bojoin. She has also a ton of stuff this it's an ecosystem you're creating an ecosystem yeah. for yourself like so no yeah. you're busy you're busy and it for is sure. a question everybody asks i get it, it but in you know, honestly i need to find a way to tee it up because it is the most common question i'm getting right now like yeah. literally every show every coffee you know because every coffee talk and it when where i think it stems from is people want to do more yeah they're like i'm i'm here and i just want to go here and I'm not saying I'm up here, but just by things, if you're just like, yeah, you know, the revenue streams or the channels or whatever, I would say, look, first is I picked one thing. And again, I said, mentioned it earlier. I'm not trying to win when I launch. I'm trying to dominate. Yep. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean like I'm trying to be better than Tommy or better than Morgan Ingram or any, but in a way I kind of am like, I want to be the guy for content strategy. That's yeah. my thing. And I'm trying to dominate. So I started with LinkedIn and built everything off of that. And mm -hmm. so if you look at it as like from LinkedIn to today, that looks like a huge leap. But LinkedIn was five-ish years ago that I got started. Yeah. Like really took it seriously. And then the next thing, just thinking of channels, not like opportunities to make money or monetize was, all right, cool. I had, I don't know, 50,000 followers. Then I launched the newsletter. Yeah. And then when you have a newsletter, I launched a course because now I have a, two sets of audiences I can sell the course to. Okay, that went well the book i had two and a half years of newsletter content and just piece it all took together. a you know looked yeah. at it what do i have what do i really have okay there's a body of work right here in this section i'm going to take that out refine the hell out of it design it and now i have another offer that was a whole year right there like yep. i just described a year in 48 words or whatever so <laughs> when you look back it's like wow that's a lot but the reason too is like everything like i just got on tiktok this week yeah literally just this week i started on tiktok because while there was a gravitational pull and potentially a lot of opportunity, I would have to have said no to some of the things that were already in progress that I just mentioned and things I knew were the right next step for me. Yep. And so now I have all this video content and it's doing two things for TikTok. One is I have tons of stuff. I'm just going to, I'm just uploading every day, learning the platform, getting a feel, I'm not taking anything personally when it, you know, I get 200 views. I'm just like, okay, that doesn't work here. Right. I'm like new to the party. And the other thing is it's forcing me to, uh, to start recording every day just to practice, just to get better at it and build that audience. So I'm all to say is like I'm very intentional with how I stack things up mm -hmm. because I'm not doing too many new things that I'm not good at. I'm only picking one thing that I'm not great at at a time. And I'm never picking something I'm terrible at. Like I don't know how to fix a car. I know it's not related to content marketing. <laughs> no, I have no true. idea. I, I can barely pop the hood of my car. <laughs> Literally, I know exactly where it is. You do it this the entire time. Dude, I put... <laughs> I put the little the little rod and it hangs there and I just look at the engine and I go, so you put it you put fuel in and then I hit the button and it goes and I know nothing else. Yeah. So I'm not trying to learn to be a mechanic. Yeah. But with like why TikTok, one, the opportunity is there, my market is there, and I'm and I'm like decent on video and I feel comfortable there. Okay, I just need to learn like to edit, need to learn the platform. Yeah. Okay, there's a good upside once I cross that tipping point. You know what yeah. I mean? So all all to say is like if you're looking to scale. Scale for the thing that makes the most sense for your skill and also follow your market. Yep. 
Like I'm doing things where people often would like, hey, Dev, do you have a like long, like I love this post or I love this newsletter. Do you have like a guide, like a longer form thing so I can really dive in? And once I started getting a lot of those, then I realized, okay, there's some demand here. I've created demand. Yep. Now it's time to capture it and convert it into sales. And you're leveraging a lot of what you currently have. I was talking with, um, I was on a podcast a while ago, the Ryan Hanley show. And we talked about the leverage and he actually brought up, he's like, I'm not a mow the lawn on the weekend type of guy. That's just not me. And I was like, yeah, I totally get that. And the other part I want to mention here too, and I think that this is important because you are a parent and you are also a husband. And when you and I talked about this initially, you talked about buckets where it's like you have to, not all buckets get filled equally all the time, right? Like some take more priority over the other as a husband and as a father, like Personally, I think that's a really important thing to emphasize is that it's not all business. It's not all work. It's not all hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. Like you are taking time to have a life outside of this stuff as well. So the leverage is important there. I don't want to talk on your behalf on that part, but like, I think that's something to like really emphasize. For sure. And, And to be clear, I haven't like, this hasn't been a perfect up into the right experience for me. Right. Um, mid last year, I had my first serious panic attack and serious burnout. Uh, and it was super fun, Tommy, because I had been feeling it building up, mm-hmm. being sarcastic. It was awful. And I was just feeling super thin. We uh, like spread thin. So I had my, you know, my job, I have the reader, I've got husband, I've got two under three, two little girls. And at the time, one was like, eight-ish months so very yep. if anyone any parents it's a very tough time at least for me you know they're a little they're, they're difficult and i had felt all this stress just building 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 the creativity started to go down naturally some self-doubt started to slip in more than it usually does we can talk about self-talk and man i say it was super fun because it was terrible it was awful i was on an all hands i was like set up to be on an all hands in front of the entire company and I had to go over this big event that we were going to host, like I, two minutes, three minutes to get the whole company to like understand what we're doing and get them excited. And I'm not lying. I was like paralyzed mm-hmm. with just crippling anxiety. I don't even know how I got through it, to be honest with you. I blacked out. I said what I said. It went fine. I confirmed with other people <laughs> that it did happen. And afterwards, like I really just like I had to go for a long walk and I'm like, something's broken. This is not working anymore. Yeah. And so I had to, it took, it took, it took the time. I had to take time off like a week or two to really like unwind all the way because with burnout, you don't realize how deep that hole is until you kind of like at the bottom. And then you look up and you're like, Oh, I thought I was at like a four foot hole. I knew I was struggling, but I didn't realize like, I can't even reach the top right now. Yeah. And someone can't pull you up. My my wife who I love, she cannot, you know, as much as she said, all the positive things and all the like things to try to help me, like you have to come to that realization yourself. And I was listening to, uh, it sounds kind of funny to, to switch, switch to Matthew McConaughey, but I was listening to his book Yeah, and I love green lights. If you, it's if you're a fan of him, or, love the book, can't recommend it enough. Listen to it. If you like Matthew McConaughey, yes. cause his voice is awesome. And, and his, and just like the way he tells the stories is so good, but he had the same kind of experience and it was, he was dad, husband, he, he had his bucket for himself, which I didn't even have at the time mentally. I'm like, I don't even have a Devin bucket. I just have a work and family bucket. Yep. And then he was like producing stuff from a production house and he was an actor. And he basically shared the same, similar experience where he realized he needed to cut some of those buckets. 
And so he was like, family's a non-negotiable, myself is a non-negotiable, and then I need to pick one thing to be great at. And so he stuck with acting and he, he literally one call closed his own production firm, just closed it. Yep. And what it taught me through that experience was I was getting B's and probably C's in some of my buckets because I had too many buckets. Yep. So I had to realize like, let's like recategorize these. Do these all need to be here? What can I get rid of? And am I really filling up my cup, not to go bucket to cup analogy too much, but all the buckets I described were kind of gives like I'm constantly giving and you know, kids take a lot of energy, you want to devote time to your wife and your relationships work, doesn't fill your cup every day, right. you know what I mean. And so I had to realize I didn't even have a bucket for myself. So I made a new bucket, changed some things, I hired someone on the reader to help me I got an agent and a business manager, same guy to help me handle stuff there set new expectations and boundaries with my work at Clary, set new boundaries and expectations with my home life. And that's how I've been able to, I say, go to bed peacefully when the kids aren't crying uh, <laughs> and for the few hours that I get. But going to bed, like I was tired time of going to bed feeling behind, waking up feeling stressed because I'm not getting enough done and I'm not fulfilled with the buckets I had committed to. Yeah. So anyway, that's like a long, a kind of long way to go about it, but there's no perfect way. I have had burnout. I still don't get as much sleep as I wish I did. I don't go to the gym as much as I want, but I'm doing, I'm getting A's in these buckets and I've come to like, had to remind myself, I'm not picking the easy path. Yeah. I'm picking the hard path by choice. I'm deciding to have the reader. I'm deciding to be a devoted dad and like be a better dad than, you know, that I experienced as a kid. And so those are the things I remind myself at night when I go, damn, you know, could I have made a better video? Could I have posted one more thing? Yeah, but that's not the that's not getting you to an A. Right. That's that's not getting you to an A. So anyway, I, I don't know if that no. Hopefully that helps folks that are watching or listening, like you know, to just know other people are struggling with it too. I think no, I think that's incredibly important because there is like this. You you are a prolific creator. I do the same thing, right? I've and I want to say this because I know that a lot of people won't acknowledge right you see the 20 year old something's on linkedin they're like rise and grind and like all of this other stuff and it's like dude you don't have kids. you have all the yeah. time in the world right now and no other responsibilities but to yourself yep. or to your business and that's cool maybe when you're starting out you should do that absolutely but when you have a number of other responsibilities like it's really important to bring that realness here and to, like to yeah. kind of talk about that just a little bit for myself like you know, I've been hospitalized because of either panic uh, attacks or, you know, I've had a couple of, and you won't convince me that I've had a couple of non-essential organs fail because it was like, wow. it, it, it internalized that much. You get to that point, and And I want to say this too, to anybody who's watching this and who might be feeling like they're on the verge of burnout or are currently in it, you come to a point where it, there, it is an inflection point. You have to decide if this is something that is worthwhile and worth pursuing. And sometimes that answer is no. And that's okay. Like, yeah. I think that's something to really, I want to like emphasize that is that it's okay. <laughs> this shit is a lot of hard work. There is sacrifice. This is not a tangent I expected to go down or a road I expected to go down, but it is important to recognize your limits and to, you know, at the end of the day, like find out what's important for me. I started doing martial arts three times a week. That's non-negotiable now, because if I'm not in good yeah. shape, the rest of it doesn't happen. Right. Yes, yes. If I'm not a good family man and, you know, taking care of my family in the process, like then the stuff that I'm doing with my business does not matter because one is supposed to support the other. And, yep. and there's a give and take there. Like I try to acknowledge to my wife all the time, like, 
I wouldn't be able to do this without you. And thank you for mm-hmm. all of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's not something I expected to go, a road I expected <laughs> to go down, but it's, it's true. And I think it's something that we don't talk about nearly enough. And I, I agree, man. For, for, I'm, I'm glad we did talk about it too, because your point is like, I, and, 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 and to, to go quick, I'll, I'll dip my toe in a little bit deeper water and we can bounce back out. Yeah, was yeah. Like, I've had my dad tell me at 50 something that he regretted some of his life. Like, I wasn't there for you. I'm like looking back, I picked the wrong things yep. and I'm super sorry. And, and it's not about like him saying that to me, but I remember being like, I don't want to, and I knew it before he kind of said, it, I'm like, I don't want to be like that. Right. I don't want to be a CEO. I don't want to be a multimillionaire, but my kids don't know that I love them. Cause there's a difference between loving your kids and knowing and them knowing that right. feeling. And so you'd said non-negotiables, which was like, we don't miss birthdays in this house. Right. We don't miss recitals in this house. Like there's nothing more important than that because kids measure love on time. Yep. How much time did you spend with them? They don't care how many followers I have. She, my daughter only gets excited when I close a deal because I'm excited. And she's like, oh, daddy, we making money moves. And it's like a dance. And then she wants to go play something else. Like she yeah. does not care. And so you'd said it too, Tommy, like we think of these buckets as individual or siloed, but they are connected and they have different purpose. One gives the other purpose. Family gives the business hustle purpose because without it, it's not that interesting to me anymore. Like, you know, yeah, how much money can you make is only fun for so long. And then you realize what you actually want is freedom of choice, right? What you actually want is freedom of time and money is a tool. And I know you have to get to a certain part of your career. I'm not going to lie and say it's easy to make money. You're like, you don't need money. You do, but I can promise you, you make a certain amount and your happiness does not go up in the same increment as making more money. And so it's up to each person to define what success is to them. Mm-hmm. For me, it's simple. I want uh, I want what I have and I have what I want. You want to keep it. I want what I have and I have what I want. There's a level of contentedness there. And I think if people just realize, hey, it's not what the person on LinkedIn has. Someone said, oh, I got promoted to VP today. How come I'm not a VP? Oh, I'm not doing good enough. All that stuff. Like, d- dude, you didn't even want that goal. I've had to remind myself of this. I didn't even want that until I read it 10 <laughs> seconds ago. And now all of a sudden I'm behind. Like, come on. Like, so you got to heat check yourself a little bit and remind yourself like, and that's why kind of going back to your CEO slide or your own goals is reminding yourself like, this is where I'm going. doesn't matter what Tommy's doing. doesn't matter if you make more money than me, if his beer is nicer than mine, if he's, you know, any of that stuff. I'm doing my thing. You know what I mean? And that's where like confidence and the momentum comes from. And then so anyway, hopefully it's full circle. But I love talking about stuff like this because I don't think it's it's brought up enough. And especially like on LinkedIn where we all kind of hang out in B2B is like, you know, we don't really talk too much about the emotional stuff and kind of the, I wouldn't say negative, but the the, the stuff between positive and negative. You know what I mean? Just the life stuff that we're we're working uh, working through. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's important. And I think that um I'm glad that I'm glad we went down that road because we don't talk about that nearly enough. And it's easy to look at somebody who creates a big body of work for me. It's my show. It's my newsletter. It's, it's all of the stuff. Um, and then to go like, Oh yeah, you're doing all right. And it's like, no, actually I'm like, I just got myself, I just got myself sick. But I also think that this is important. And you had said you hired somebody for the reader. This is actually a decision I just recently came to myself where it's like this last year, I had three major goals and I achieved none of them, even though it was my biggest revenue year yet. So I go into mm-hmm. 2024 going like, ah, did I actually accomplish what I wanted? And it's like, not really. And part of that was because I tried to build my own infrastructure. And I've realized, you know, very recently that I needed to, you know, very much like McConaughey was doing, I need to get rid of some of the infrastructure that I have, borrow somebody else's infrastructure because 
that's what I need right now. Maybe eventually I'll bring it back in house, but right now I have too mm-hmm. big a goals to, to get to that point. All right. We're going to ask one more question in the first part of the show. We're actually way over on our time, but hopefully you can go a little bit longer. A little bit. I do have a non-negotiable, which is picking up Rumi from school. So we can go a little over by five minutes, but I do have to. All right, cool. Let's move into the, let's jump right into the edit then. Um, Devin, we've got the rise of the millionaire LinkedIn influencer. I thought that this was going to be a interesting topic for you because your uh, profile on LinkedIn is growing significantly. Um, First, before we do that, tell me very quickly, what is your pregame before you edit? And then tell me your first impression of the piece. I was wondering if there was some between the lines comment when you sent me that article. Uh, <laughs> and I liked it. Before I edit, I, I literally coffee and a deep breath because I do like editing. I don't want you to think I don't like it, but it can be tedious because you never really know what you're going to get. And there's editing your own work and there's editing other people's work. And depending on who that other person is and how bad your draft was prior, sometimes it's fun and easy. And sometimes it's like, oh, it's a grind. Yeah. And so since I never know, I take a big swig of coffee and then like a little breath work and I'm like, all right, let's get in there. So um, this one was was hard at first because I read the first couple paragraphs. I was in, I was, uh, I was say on bed. I wasn't in bed. I was on bed last night, hanging out with the wife, you know, that TV time you get, but while the kids are down and uh, I'm telling her I'm prepping for the show and I'm reading it and I'm like, Dude, that bastard gave me like a really good article <laughs> to friggin' fix. And then I'm like, now I'm going to be this nitpicky guy. Like, oh, it's, you know, it's an A. And I'm like, this is how to get to an A plus. But that was the first couple paragraphs. Yeah. Once I kept reading, there's a serious flaw in the article, I think, that we can talk about. And so there's definitely, it's a good article, but there's definitely some stuff that can be done to improve it, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I wanted to do that on purpose. And I just want to like emphasize to a good editor knows that they're going in for a mental pump, right? Like you need to have that mental right. pump. And if you're just going through the motions, like you need to reevaluate yeah. your life because it, you're, you're the arbiter of quality. Yeah. If you're just going through the motions, get with it, editors watching the show and take my course because I'm going to help you get better. <laughs> It'll help. Yeah. All right. Tell me about the major flaw. Let's start, let's start talking about this, right? To, to some, LinkedIn's try-hard nature has become a perfect example of the worst of corporate culture. That's true. There's actually a, uh, a Reddit now, a subreddit yeah. of terrible LinkedIn stuff. But the site's influencers say the joke's on everyone else first because they pull the plug in big, or pull in big money with ease. The only opinion that matters is the market, one said. All right, take, so- take it away. I had to like be careful not to get in like a soapbox because I'm I, I'm like editing the content, but I'm like a person within the topic, if that makes sense. So I'm like, part of me is like agreeing with the point being made, but I'm like, oh wait, I can't. Ag- it's not for me to negate the point or make the point. It's to make the point clearer whether I agree or not. So that was a little fun. But look, here's the big here's the big one, and this drives me crazy because my editor taught me this, and once she taught it to me, I can never unhear it or unsee it. So one of the biggest Simple grammatic mistakes. You hear it all the time, but you don't think about it. Is people say as when they mean because. Here's the difference. I am talking to Tommy as my dog sleeps underneath my desk. But I'm not talking to Tommy because my dog is sleeping under my desk. One is consequential and the other one happens in parallel. As is this thing is happening as this other thing is happening. It's in parallel. Because is because is is consequential or subsequent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what happens is the site influencers say the jokes on everyone else 
because they pull in the big money with ease because who cares what you think? It's not that influencers are saying as a joke as they're pulling in money with ease. You could split a hair there and argue, but I think that's a big one. And I hear, and I see it a lot in content and the word because is so powerful and it gives meaning to action. And that's something that people crave. Mm -hmm. And so when you swap it for as, and people do it in Slack a lot, I think they're like trying to soften it. Like I need this from you because the deadlines today, right? I need this from you as the deadlines today. It's kind of like passive and a little not as direct. So anyway, that's the first technical error, but not the big one that I, I prefaced earlier. Somebody focuses on technique. That's a big one. That's a big one. That is the small thing that makes a huge difference. So, all right. What was your first impression overall? Let's get to it. Tell me, tell me what's boiling. So the rise of the LinkedIn millionaire. Uh, so the rise of the millionaire LinkedIn influencer. I like the title. I'm cool with it. I really like that little, I don't know what that's called, that little preface. I thought it does a great job. And then, because it, it introduces conflict. Mm -hmm. And then it gets into Justin Welsh, who I think if you've logged into LinkedIn, you've probably seen his stuff. <laughs> I know him. Uh, I say personally, we're not best friends, but we do know each other. And so I was like, great. He's exactly the guy you want to start this article with. If it wasn't the reason the article was written in the first place, mm -hmm. because he, I could see him being the jump off point. Like you run into Justin or you hear about him. They're like, wait, what's going on? Right. And so overall, I actually liked this article a lot because not as, I did not agree with all of it. Okay. And the reason being is there's two things that this person, the author is doing. One is they're giving you this observational, exploratory view of LinkedIn right now. Right, it's a little try hard, or it's safe because your your picture and your name and your title is right next to your opinions, and it kind of goes into the ins and outs, pretty or ugly, depending on how you view the platform. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really, I thought that was really good. He also does, or, I, or he or she, I sound, I don't know why I said he. I think it just kind of reads maybe like a male wrote it. It, I don't it was know a he. If that's true or not? There's a lot of great stories and examples, so it's not just this expose on Justin, but there's a bunch of other examples throughout it. Yep. Which also leads to the problem within the article for me. It's it's not a through clear line of of like journal dare I say journalism despite my uh my words previously in the show. <laughs> uh again, I have nothing against journalism. I actually am trying to like learn a little bit more about it. So as I'm reading through it, I'm like, wow, this is really good until I get to what section is it? I can't where's the there's a really good one under Justin's head, uh, his headshot. Where I put the phrase transitional he transition header. Yeah. And to me, it's not just a format thing. Cause if you do what I do, a lot of people like you kind of flip through an article to like see what you're in for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people skim subheaders. This is a little fun fact. I don't know if anyone thinks of it this way. I write the subheaders in a way that if you only read the subheaders, you would actually get a very good understanding of the article. The same and way. Hopefully, each one pulls you into the paragraph beneath it. And so because this one has no, <laughs> there's no subheads. It's this big block, you know, big blocky text, and it kind of looks like a lot to consume. But the challenge really is, Tommy, is he, is he jumps from one thing to another without a subheader or even a transition sentence. And so the really, the really, I want to say bad one, but it's, it's not that it's bad. It's just an infraction is there's a, if you control F, I think the word hate, where is it at the bottom here? I got it in my notes. Straight up hate me. If you put up hate, there's a quote, a really powerful quote on hate me. Yep. I've gotten death threats. People showed up at my house, said Butler, a black woman. I have people who straight up hate me. Emotions went up. Yeah. I don't know about you, but like a black woman being hated on 
people showing up at her house like that's scary that's like my 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 genuine empathy is high mm-hmm. and then the next sentence is unlike other platforms linkedin makes it explicit that the point of the creator program is to make money mm-hmm. I'm like wait a minute whoa, whoa 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 like that's when i went like you know the dr dre was like hold up <laughs> that's when i was like oh, hold on a second you cannot leave that open-ended like that yeah but you could put a transition sentence in there. And I put it in here. The reader deserves, which is funny. I put the reader with a capital R before we, we talked today. Something, of, uh, it deserves something more. So like, and even if it was a transition of like, can a place of, of hate and sometimes disgust also be a great moneymaker? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Subheader. Despite challenges, people are pushing through and making money, right? So like, and that's off the cuff, but you get the idea. Yeah. And he does this a lot in the article where there's these really good two or three point paragraph story observation. And then there's no transition to the next story observation. And so that was my qualm. Like as I read it, it actually got a little exhausting as the reader because I'm having to piece through like, oh, we're in a new chapter. Oh, he's talking about something else now. And so my tool or tactic would be that transitional header or just something in big, bold, you know, those big, bold letters or you know larger letters that say, hey, that signals something is ending and a new thought is forming. And that also continues to rehook me every couple paragraphs. Yeah, I think that's important. I think about it in terms of like a lot of this one did a really good job of what I call uh, waterfall reading, where everything sort of flows pretty well into the next. But in a lot of subheaders, right, and this one didn't have it, a lot of subheaders will have uh, a roller coaster effect, right? You kind of ramp up, ramp up, ramp up. You hit the apex, you go down, you go down, you go down, you hit the next subheader, and then it goes up, goes up, goes down. And I think that this could have benefited exactly, like you said, with some of those subheaders um, or just breaks, where this is a really solid apex moment. But yeah, you can't just brush over it. You have to like transition me. I'm saying the same thing you said, but. You know, you have to like acknowledge the feeling you just evoked instead of just relying on your solid turns of phrase, which this is a lot of solid turns of phrase. But maybe maybe there's some structural stuff that can make it just a little bit stronger. And that's why I didn't light it up, like, because if I was editing this, I actually wouldn't rewrite the things I would like drop these notes in and I would get on a call with this writer if I was like the head, you know, head editor for a chief editor for this one. Because it's it deserves a conversation because it's like it's very close to great in my opinion it's very close but there's some structural things and whenever I use the word structural I'm like I'm not re- I'm not doing that right now like in the doc that gets ugly and hard to communicate yeah. I'm like I'll get on a call and explain it to you much like me and you just did and then at the end I would tell the writer like what's your promise what is the title promise that you made mm. and that is to explore LinkedIn millionaire influencers. And after you put in your headers, I'd say, go through each header and go, are you delivering on that promise? Yep. Because there's times where you kind of just cook in LinkedIn right now. Like you're kind of just ragging on the platform and you're not really tying it into money. And so that was the only thing I kind of wrote in my notes here um, was, yeah, the list kind of just goes on and on. But what's your main purpose? It loses sight that the article is about people making money on LinkedIn. And I think because of the reasons we talked about it kind of when it, when it does this, it's diving away from the promise for like good observational. Like a lot of stuff is true about LinkedIn. I'm not going to negate it, right? but it goes a little too into cooking it. than it does the money part. So I wish it like, and I wish it ended stronger with the like, so what we just explored all these things and people are still making money. Like I, I feel like the, I feel like the author 
earned it. Like there's, there's all the good stuff to recap. And I feel like if the reader put in, I think it's about 2000 words. If I spend that much time reading and thinking, I mean, I kind of led with it earlier, like delight the reader, make it, you know, make it clear. Give, give me that kicker. That makes me go, Oh yeah, that is true. Or, Oh yeah, I'm going to think about it differently. Or yeah, you know what? I am going to start writing on LinkedIn despite some of the arguments being made. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Some of it, elements of it reminded me of that piece, that hit piece that the verge published a little while ago on uh, SEOs, right? And I'm like, yep, I saw and that. I was thinking like a lot of the SEOs that I know are more like, you know, there's a middle class of SEOs. That's the majority of it. And you're not representing uh, everybody appropriately. Yeah. And this is not representing in some ways the um, LinkedIn as a platform. It's like, in some ways, it's very clear exactly. that they're not part of the ecosystem and like doing their best to, you know, be a part of it. So anyways, uh, I like that. Cause as an insider, that was what I led with. Like as an insider and like I'm in LinkedIn and I'm using it stuff. It felt like someone looking in at LinkedIn, kind of talking shit about it, but people are making money. So I guess it's all good and kind of bouncing out. And it was like kind of a, I was a hate piece, but it felt kind of like a diss record, yeah. you know? And so I was like, I do and don't like it. If that's your intention, I think you did a good job. But if you're really, again, going back to the promise of the title, I think they swayed a little bit. Yeah. And there's a filmmaking concept. And I know you got to go pretty soon here. But there's a filmmaking concept for anybody who wants to get into it. Read the book Save the Cat uh, by Blake Schneider. Amazing. There's a premise or a concept that he calls the promise of the premise. And that's basically what when you go to the movie, that's what you're looking for. And if a movie doesn't deliver on the promise of the premise that you said. Yep then that's what ends up making it a bad movie, whether or not you even realize it. You could have beautiful shots, but if it's not delivering on the premise that it said, you might not. it might not actually be as good as they want it to be. And that's you see that true of movies, and you see that true of this type of work. And and let's let's not do that anymore. Devin. So real quick, hold on, can I add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a really... So I did not know that that existed. There's no new ideas. Any new idea I think I have has already been written 50 years ago at least. But there's a concept of ba uh, based on that, Tommy, that I call time to payback, yep. which is that when did that promise paid off mm -hmm. is, is, the, is the time. And so on the article, when do I get my first payback of like the first insight for a LinkedIn millionaire? And where it came from was um, our podcast. We we're trying to increase the consumption rate. Mm -hmm. Our consumption rate was a little low on the Clary podcast. And so, you know, we can make that shorter. You know, that's like the go-to thing. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not that the content's too long. There's a, re we're probably not, the payback is taking too long or the payback is never happening. Yep. And so people are leaving the podcast to go get another promise and have it fulfilled. So that's where it came from. Maybe it's a time for uh, something for a different episode, but like a last little tactic to think through is like, what is that title promise or the promise of the premise? And how quickly are you paying it off? And ideally it's throughout the article. It's not just one big payoff, but Anyway, something to think about that I, that's been top of mind for me. A you'd lot. like, uh, you'd like, if you're thinking that way, you'd like save the cat because basically within scripts, um, uh, filmmakers will have certain beats that happen within certain percentages of the total time of the film. I graduated from conservatory and did a lot of film stuff, but like the inciting right. incident will always happen right around the 15 to 20 minute mark, depending on the overall thing. You got to set the world, yeah. and then it's like here's the inciting incident. And here are all the things that happen. The first pinch point happens at a certain point. The midpoint happens at the midpoint in the movie and something changes like dramatically. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So you'd love that from a structural perspective. I do. Like and that. the reason why that's important to think about the time to pay off on all of these things is that we as people who have been consuming stories for thousands of years, right? We're used to a certain pace. 
certain information comes at a certain point and when that stuff doesn't happen. And I think, and this is stuff I talk about in my seminar, um, not to plug the seminar, but, but things happen at a certain pace. And if that pacing is off or you're not delivering on certain things that you set up, then things feel off. They feel wrong. Yep. And when something feels complete, it's because you've hit all of these points that were pre-programmed to feel because that's just what we've consumed, the media we've consumed over the years. Anyways, I like it. we are like at the very end of our time here. Devin, do you have any words of wisdom to share with our audience before you before we end the episode? I am trying to be more honest and vulnerable. Well, when I say honest, that sounds like I lie a lot, but I'm trying to be more authentic, and vulnerable, authentic. Yes, in the non-buzzwordy always. sense, and, sure. In the non-buzzwordy sense, in the honest yeah. sense, yeah. <laughs> I am in the. I, if, based on what we talked about, if you're if you're still listening. The thing I would say is like, if you have a project, a channel, a goal, something that you're thinking about and you're nervous, you're getting those butterflies in your stomach because you're unsure. My best advice is, is to bet on yourself. And I know that sounds cliche, but the truth is all the growth that's all the great growth that's happened both in my personal life and in my career has been ignoring the butterflies or just pushing them down for a little bit putting some trust in myself, betting on myself and going for it. Because if a lot of times we think of the what if, what if it doesn't work out? What if it fails? What if Tommy Walker reads it and he comments super nasty things about me? And we often prevent ourselves from doing those big leaps and taking those bets on ourselves and those risks because we're worried about the what if. So finish the what if game. What if it is successful? What if I publish the show and I get another opportunity? What if Tommy Walker becomes my biggest fan because he sees my work and he likes it? And so that's uh, the reason I say I'm trying to be honest and vulnerable is I'm working on uh, the biggest project to date. I can't announce it quite yet. In a couple of weeks, I will. But I'm in these modes of like, I almost didn't do it. I really had to push myself. But I put the biggest financial investment and time investment into this project. And despite some of the self-doubt and uncertainty, I'm proud and I'm happy that I did it because I'm like, hey, even if it fails, I went for it. I tried, I learned, and I'll continue on. So I'm working through some, you know, amping myself up and be like, Hey, it's going to work out. And so I know if you hear some of this stuff that me and Tommy talked about, it's easy to feel, you know, should I do it? Or, you know, I know they, you know, you feel inspired now, but at lunch you might feel like a little bit down or maybe just not so confident. So I just want you to know you're not alone. All of us struggle with it. And the best advice I can give is to bet on yourself and go for it. I don't know how I can end on that. No, on that note. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much, Devin, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, uh, man. For tuning in, everyone. A great book on that. If you and one that got me started is The Flinch by Julian Smith. He wrote it years ago, and that's the one that got me off of my ass and doing stuff that made me scared. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in, I like and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, y'all. See you, Tommy. Thanks so much for watching. If you'd like to join us live, check us out any Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can get access to our guests and be a part of the magic as the edits happen live. If you'd like to get any of the articles that were edited on the show, go to thecontentstudio.com forward slash the vault. And while you wait, check out any of the other videos over here or over here to catch any previous replays. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in the next one.